0: Everyone's favorite Congressman Jeff Jackson was on All In with Chris Hayes. He's our TikTok congressman, so I have to post this. Also because he's just as eloquent and amazing off TikTok as he is on. Congressman Jeff Jackson, Democrat of North Carolina, has only been in Congress for a little over 100 days. He is already reaching millions of people. He is the most popular House member on TikTok, with 1.7 million followers, more than twice the number of constituents in his (laughs) district. The 40-year-old veteran of the Afghanistan War, who still serves as a major in the Army National Guard, was a North Carolina state senator for nearly a decade. In 2022, he ran for Congress in the newly created 14th District, which includes most of the city of Charlotte, and he won handily by more than 15 points. He's been using TikTok for years, but his number of views skyrocketed since he took his seat. Congressman Jackson uses the platform to explain important issues like the recent court ruling in Texas on Mr. Pristone and to give viewers a kind of behind the scenes look at Congress, including in his most recent video on fake anger.
1: It's really clear from working there for just a few months that most of the really angry voices in Congress are totally faking it. These people who have built their brands around being perpetually outraged, it's an act. I've seen a bunch of examples. Here's one. I've been in committee meetings that are open to the press and committee meetings that are closed. The same people who act like maniacs during the open meetings are suddenly calm and rational during the closed ones.
0: Why? Because there aren't any cameras in the closed meetings. And Congressman Jeff Jackson of North Carolina joins me now. You know, I got to say, Congressman, I I first encountered you through the magic of the TikTok algorithm. Um, And I, I had sort of followed your race, but I think I'd followed it and not seen your face. So I didn't connect the two. And I didn't actually know whether you're a Republican or Democrat for a bunch of videos I scrolled down, partly because you took this very kind of nonpartisan, non-ideological, descriptive approach to what you're doing. Tell me about how you think about what you're doing in those videos. Well, when I go home,
1: people come up to me on the street and the number one thing they say is, hey, I appreciate how you explained something. And they usually say something like, I appreciate that you explained it in a nonpartisan way or in a non-emotionally charged way or something like that. And what I've learned doing this is that there really is huge demand for just speaking to people with respect, with real information, and in a basically normal tone of voice. There's just a much higher demand for this than you would have thought, you know, (laughs) six months ago, given the general
0: nature of politics. This this is what's so fascinating to me. man. i talk, called you the anti marjorie Taylor Green. But you know, um, you're you're like a you're a white dude who looks like uh, you know an AI Midjourney conjuring of a of a, of a member of Congress. You, you, you're, a bunch of the comments are asking, is it AI? Is that a green screen?
1: It's a kitchen. It's literally just my
0: kitchen. <laughs> and and you know there is right there's a sort of incentivizing factor in social media. I think in fundraising particularly a kind of loudest voice in the room kind of incentive. Um, What do you think is going on with this sort of alternate approach and its success? Is it surprising to you? I think it sort of disproves
1: the general model of politics, which has been you have to be outraged in order to get amplified. I think we've just been feeding the general public outrage for so long that they're pushing back. They're saying, actually, we would prefer a more substantive approach. There is no way that these videos are getting this kind of traction if the old model of outrage politics is universally true. You
0: come from a state that is really interesting to me. Um, it's a State Barack Obama won. Um, it's a state that has a Democratic governor uh, who's been re- who's been elected and then re-elected. It's also a state with a massive uh, gerrymandered supermajority of Republicans in both houses. Um, and and recently, this, this this crazy thing happened in your state in which it, a sort of normal democrat right someone who wasn't like known as like a hard right-wing you know conservative democrat switched parties granting republicans a super majority they didn't have um i believe today she voted for a sort of anti-trans bill that she probably wouldn't have supported as a democrat and it's had huge implications for state governance there you said that she's deceived voters do you have any insight as someone who served in that body on what the heck is going on I don't. It's incredibly strange.
1: I have known her for 10 years. I didn't see this coming at all. I don't think a lot of people did. There might have been a few insiders in the state legislature that saw it coming, but she and I represent the same county. I know her for, I know her family, and it it was truly shocking. And the consequences are going to be even more shocking. There were six anti-trans bills filed the day after she switched parties and gave Republicans basically a supermajority and basically created one-party rule in North Carolina. To see her supporting legislation like this, it is
0: completely different from who she was just a few months ago. Um, we should say they're also uh, they're also proposing some ways of curtailing gubernatorial power. Uh, now that they have a supermajority, something that we saw them do in Wisconsin, Republicans when so they had a supermajority. Um, the big issue that is going to be facing you and your colleagues is is going to be a budget and, and spending bills and the debt ceiling. Um, and as someone who is uh, served in uh, and serves now uh, in 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 the armed forces, um, it's looking like we don't have the numbers yet, but it's looking like the Republican plan is going to require somewhere we think in the neighborhood of a 22% cut to the VA. Um, Again, in a 10 year window, this stuff is hard. They haven't produced paper on this. It's possible they exempt the VA. But I would just get like to get your perspective on what a cut like that to the VA just to give one example of the cuts would would do and whether that's something that you would support. Well,
1: first of all, the VA is already short-staffed by tens of thousands of people. When people say our veterans deserve better health care, the first thing you would do is fix the understaffing problem. Obviously, a cut to that degree is going to make that much worse. But honestly, the cuts just begin with the VA. Given all the things they've said they're not going to cut, if they want to meet their self-imposed budgetary targets, they're going to have to do draconian cuts across the board, do a whole bunch of programs for a bill that is dead on arrival in the Senate. It is... Just a terrible strategy. And frankly, I don't exactly see the end game at this point. I see the whole debt ceiling problem as one man trying to keep his job. And however Speaker McCarthy can figure out how to keep his job is how we're gonna end up fixing the debt ceiling.
0: All right, Congressman
1: Jeff Jackson. Pleasure, Pleasure to have
0: you on. Come back. Thanks a
1: lot. Thank you. Take care. Shortcast club.